You got some orange juice, man? Oh, yeah, I guess I appreciate it. What up, everybody? want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel. I'm back, and I'm not in the kitchen. I'm in the office of Brother Heruka Anu. Say what's up to the people. Uh, hello, people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad we were able to do this, you know? Um, this was... Set up by the good sister Tiana, and she plugged in with you because she listens to the podcast. Yeah, she knows the type of subject matter that I go over, and she was like, "Yo, you need to talk to him because mm. he's perfect for the things that you talk about." So um, mm-hmm. she made it happen. Thank you, Tiana. Oh, thanks, and, Tiana. Yeah. yeah. So tell the folks, you know, a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, and what you're about. I'm originally from Baltimore. I'm. Uh, Father, husband, grandfather, great grandfather, mm-hmm. educator, organizer, leader, cultural therapist, uh, activist, long time activist. Mm. Uh, most of my adult life has been doing work on behalf of uh, people of African descent since I was uh, 18 years old. Wow. Yeah, so I've been active, uh, an active agent uh, on, on behalf of the. Um, Health and wellness of black people. Yeah. For a long time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, had, uh, well, I wear several hats. I'm the leader of the community uh, 10F Anc, which I am the founder and director of since mm-hmm. 1982. I am the co director of Anc Holistic Life Center mm-hmm. uh, with my wife. And I I'm founding director of Journey African American Outdoor Sports Association uh, that we call Journey Outdoors. I'm uh, founder and director of the X Racism Project, which is a um, initiative around ending racism. Mm. And I wear several other hats, so I mean yeah. I, I I can go on and just naming busy man things that I do. I'm a I'm an author, not yet published, but I write right. uh, quite a bit. Mm. And uh, so I've, I've written uh, uh, work on um, African civilization. In fact, one of my books is entitled uh, African Civilizations in the Way of Life. Mm. Another piece I've uh, in the process of writing is on African civilizations in early Europe. Mm. And, so the Moors uh, or pre-Moors? This is pre-Moors. This is actually, um, you know, I tell people when you think of Europe, and you hold a picture of Europe in your head, mm-hmm. um, move all the white people out of it. <laughs> <laughs> move, move white people out of it completely, yeah. Yeah. and then see nothing but black people. The same way that you look at Africa, mm-hmm. and you see nothing but black folks all over Africa, look at Europe the same way and see nothing but black people from east to west, north to south. Mm. Nothing but black societies all over. So that, that means that... Uh, uh, the areas that you call Germany and mm. um, um, the Czech Republic, you know, Czechoslovakia, Slovakia, all the way to England and Ireland, the Isles, Spain, France, mm. you know, all of it. Nothing, uh, Russia, Georgia, uh, nothing but black societies. Mm. You know, so uh, it's There's peaceful. a rabbit hole that I could go down. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so writing a book on that, I'm... Um, a, um, I'm now writing a piece on cultural therapy, 
which is uh, considered the most uh, effective counter to white pathology, cultural pathology, white racism, mm -hmm. uh, and the like. So I, I'm writing, I teach. So I've been teaching for, and I'm an independent teacher, I've been teaching for th over 30 years now. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot on in the area of um, ancient African civilization, mm -hmm. uh, African um, culture, African spirituality, African religion, African civilization, and the like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you say African spirituality, um, would that be specifically like the Kemetic way that? Kemet, yeah, Kemet? but mm -hmm. I, uh, I teach a class um, that I've titled uh, the Kemetic Way of Life. Well, actually, it's a course mm -hmm. on the Kemetic Way of Life. And, and depending on how I configure it, but for the most part, it's five classes involved in the course. Yeah. And uh, so in the course, I actually uh, take folks uh, from the beginning mm -hmm. um, up through Kemet. Because as I point out to people that if you start with Kemet, you never understand Kemetic spirituality or religion. You can't start at Kemet. You have to go back before mm -hmm. and deal with what, how Kemet came into being. Yeah. Um, so that means going back to our earliest ancestors. So in that class, I generally take people back to day one mm -hmm. of human human existence on this planet, and we start from there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then we began to see how African uh, religion, spirituality, and faith developed uh, and progressed up to Kemet because Kemet is like Africa's third oldest uh, civilization. So the two mm. civilizations that came before are key to um, explaining Kemet. Yeah. It's, I'm glad that you mentioned that early on because, yeah. you know, I, I reached out to folks mm -hmm. and said, hey, I'm talking to a brother that's, you know, he's well versed when it comes to Kemetic spirituality, African spirituality, all that. Yeah. And a lot of, I was like, you know, what questions do you have? So I'm going to try to intersperse questions that the audience has for you. Oh, perfect. And mm -hmm. I'm glad you said that, that because there's some people that have the assumption that the comedic way is like, some, some people think that we're supposed to believe that as black people. And it's kind of popular right now. Mm -hmm. And a brother was asking, well, why is it, that people just settle with that. What about the civilizations? What about all the African spiritual systems before Kemet? Why is no one saying anything about that? You know, yeah. so I'm glad you touched on it and we will get on that. Okay. What I do want to start out with is how did you come to this revelation that this is the way to go for you? Hmm. Well, I guess that goes back to childhood mm -hmm. <laughs> when you began, when I began to ask questions of why. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Why are things this way? Why are things that way? I think, um, um, I'll say it very briefly, I became um, aware, um, I would say racially aware, mm -hmm. um, in my preteen years, and uh, racially coming into consciousness as early as uh, 11, between 11 and 12 when Dr. King was killed. Mm. In uh, 68, I was introduced to King the day after he was assassinated, um, April 5th, when, you know, it was just playing on the radio his assassination, and uh, I didn't know who he was until then. Wow. And um, I was elected by the t teachers in my elementary school to learn two of his um, speeches verbatim because they chose me to recite 
one of his speeches at our sixth grade graduation. Mm -hmm. So I became aware of King, which introduced me to the plight of black people. Uh, the following year in seventh grade, I was introduced to Malcolm X. Wow. And so my journey began. So you know, yeah. really quickly, you said you didn't find out about Martin Luther King until yeah. he was assassinated. Yeah. I think that's something that's kind of glossed over in history. Mm -hmm. um, now, because MLK has his own day yeah. and he's like the only figure in black history that white people really like to touch on. People yeah. don't realize that Martin Luther King was not the most famous man, black man in America at the time that he was killed. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to like that time, what was going on? And once you did find out about him, like, and you growing up and just, you know, living your life, why do you think he wasn't as prominent or as whatever, you know, back in the day? Cause well, bear in mind, I was 11 years old, so I didn't know for sure. So, uh, you know, I mean, the history is being made by mm -hmm. King. Um, so nobody's really teaching, you know, the history in school. I mean, the history... Or just a current event. Uh, black history is being taught by black people or passed down mm -hmm. uh, by black people. But we are learning of people like Paul Lawrence Dunbar, uh, Langston Hughes, um, you know, literary figures, actors, black mm -hmm. actors, you know, of the time. So at 11 years old... Um, you know, there's not a lot that's being taught in elementary at that time. But what about the civil unrest that was going on? Civil unrest I heard of. Okay. But see, in Baltimore, it's a little bit different than some other places. So, for example, in the 67, 68, where you had rebellions in different cities, mm -hmm. um, Oakland, New York, um, Philadelphia, New Jersey, uh, some places, Baltimore was a little bit different. I mean, uh, folks did rebel during King's... Uh, um, assassination. Mm -hmm. I do recall pictures of tanks rolling into downtown Baltimore, wow. but I didn't live. Yeah. I live not too far from downtown Baltimore, but I didn't live in a sense of walking distance. I lived in a community called Cherry Hill. It was an all black community that was isolated. Mm. You know, from uh, it was uh, um, on the outskirts of the city, okay. you know, on the periphery uh, of the city, and we didn't have that kind of rebellion. So they there was a shopping center in the heart of the community, but it wasn't a target to be, yeah. you know, to be torn asunder like uh, some other places. So um, I did become aware, mm. you know, of that through the news because it was on the news. But I would I would say, you know, fast forward a couple of years mm. for me uh, to the age of 18. I mean, excuse me, not even 18 to 15, where. I began to ask questions all the time. Why this, why that? Why, I'm asking, do I, I live in a black community, but why are there businesses in the heart of my community controlled by white people? Mm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, why uh, living in an all black community, apparently uh, the political machinery is controlled by white people? Mm. I began to ask those things. Mm -hmm. Why, when, when I leave my community, I'm going into areas uh, you know, that black folks are going into areas to shop for shoes, for this, for that. Mm -hmm. You know, why are things that way? So I began to ask those questions mm -hmm. at 15 and began to investigate at 16 mm. and 17. So I'm reading, yeah. you know, I joined the military at 17. And, um, um, but I was, I become like politically, let's say I became conscious, race conscious at one, at one age and politically activated. Okay. 
I'm going to say politically activated because you can be conscious and not do anything. Yeah. But I became politically activated in a certain kind of way. Um, I wanted to join the Panther Party when I was uh, between 15 and uh, 17, but there was not a chapter in my community. Mm. There were brothers there that were in the Nation of Islam at the time mm -hmm. and uh, who, who were selling papers, and I used to get the papers. So I was reading uh, the Nation of Islam paper at 16. Mm -hmm. And when I joined the military, I remember... Uh, uh, when I was transferred to a particular company and I'm signing in and sister asked me, well, what's your religion? And I said, it's Muslim. I wasn't at the time. <laughs> I told her that. Uh, she said, well, I, I don't think you might want to put that. <laughs> oh, for the military, they ain't trying to hear that back then. Not at that time. Yeah. That was in 76, 74. I went uh -huh. in in 74. Yeah. And, um, but I studied. And uh, so when to your question, uh, like, you know, what made me, feel that it was this way, mm -hmm. it was constant study, you know. Mm -hmm. So while in, mil in the military, I really did become politicized uh, even more. I read voraciously the works of the Panther Party, Huey Newton, mm -hmm. uh, Eldridge Cleaver, Bobby Seale. I read Malcolm's autobiography, uh, works about Malcolm. Mm -hmm. um, Malcolm's cousin, um, I don't recall his, his name right now, but he wrote a piece, Malcolm and Me, or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I became politicized and uh, during that 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 uh, time, and um, when I came out of the military, I did a year and a half. I came out in '76. I joined the Nation of Islam two days later. Wow! Um, and uh, became even more politicized while I was there. I stayed there about six months, but then I realized I'm not an Arab, so I can't be a Muslim. You know, because what I realized is that is. You know, to me, what I realize about Islam is Arab nationalism. It's not, it's Arab cultural nationalism. It's mm. not something for black people. Even though our people are there, mm. it's not ours. And I'm clear that it's not ours. And so when I became aware of that. That's powerful. Yeah, I left. Uh, there in search of, you know, continuing this search. Real so, quick. Uh -huh. Why do you think folks don't get that as soon as you got it? Because there's a there's a movement now there's a there's a big mm -hmm. movement away from your traditional American Christianity raising a church grandma yeah. went mama went I had to go yeah. and then you know there's YouTube videos yeah. and, and memes on Facebook and, uh -huh. and Instagram and a lot of stuff saying you know the black man's religion before he came to America yeah. was Muslim or Islam yeah. yeah. Is that so? You're saying that's not true, right? Yeah, I'm saying it's not true. So it's not true. Yeah. But why do black people, certain black folks, maybe maybe I shouldn't, I definitely shouldn't generalize, but like, yeah. why are some people so strongly holding to that belief that <laughs> Islam is the black man's religion? Because they don't know better. So when you don't know your history, mm. there's an African proverb that says, when you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Mm. You know. So, <laughs> so when you That's don't, deep. so when you don't know uh, African history um, to the degree that we should mm -hmm. know our history, then it's easily easy to be misled. You know. Mm -hmm. So anybody can fill in a void when you don't know, and that's basically what it is. We you know, out we, we, we still aren't, we're still just coming into learning our history in various ways. So that, that's really due to a lot of people not knowing our history, not understanding um, uh, our history, who we are philosophically. Mm -hmm. And 
culturally. That's that's what that is. Yeah, I've been reading just really within the past five years, started doing a lot of reading. Yeah. And the little bit of knowledge that I have about, you know, Islam and how it, you know, swept through Africa yeah. is very similar to how Christianity swept the world, mm-hmm. which is by conquest. Conquest. Yeah. It's so it was like, it was, a, it was a get down or lay down mentality. Yeah, it was. And people would agree in, you know, in mm-hmm. theory, say, hey, all right, yeah. I'm Muslim, but they would still practice their own. <laughs> yeah. You know, but they would just do it for political reasons and just yeah. for safety. But see, black people, a lot of black people think that it's black people that were spreading it. Um, and not recognizing that. Um, so when you're looking at um, what people call my Islam, and I, you know, I recognize that name at times and call it Mohammedism because it mm-hmm. really is after. It's a political system, mm. you know, a conquest system that was uh, organized by Muhammad to um, unify Arabs mm-hmm. who were um, a branch of white people. And I think branch of white people invading African people in um, Asia Minor. Mm. So in the areas today of Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, um, the um, uh, Israel, um, uh, the uh, Suez area, mm. uh, Eastern uh, Africa, these uh, Arabs were fighting each other over spoils, mm-hmm. you know, over potential spoils. Mm-hmm of African people um, and waging war even with themselves against, you know, uh, against other Arabs to conquer African wealth. So um, the founding of Islam was a system to unify Arabs uh, and to a body that also enabled them to then, you know, work uh, more effectively in conquering African people. It's a conquest system. And the, um, but the politics the political system of Islam comes from the Arabs. The uh, war, the warlike values, the conquest values, mm-hmm. comes out of that white value system. Mm-hmm. The there are cultural aspects of Islam that actually comes from African people. So the foundation of of Islam actually comes out of Nubia, the Nubian pastoral people, who, uh, for example, I'll give you uh, several things who in uh, their calendar system used the lunar calendar. That's why the Arabs use a lunar calendar. Um, the um, Nubian people were pastoral. They were uh, goat herders, sheep herders, cattle herders. And um, the Arabs, and, 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 and your herds were your money mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. So it was no coin currency. Right. It's your herds. Mm-hmm. So a part of what white people were doing as they were coming out of... Uh, um, far northeast Asia um, and moving south and southwest as they are in conquering and raiding, they were actually cattle raiding, mm. you know, African people, conquering them for their herds, conquering them for their land and their wealth. Mm. Hence, the Arabs conquered a pastoral people and, ad- and took on their wealth and, uh, and embraced that lifestyle mm. of African people. This is why at the end of Ramadan, you do what? You, you sacrifice a goat. You know, at the end of it, it's a pastoral thing. It's why the myth of Muhammad as a goat herder, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, you know, Muhammad is supposedly this lowly, you know, humble goat herder. But it's from the tradition of the Nubian people. The Hajj itself had, it comes from African people. Mm-hmm. And that is the uh, Nubians who, let's say um, you live in a, um, um, a Nubian city or town, um, 
certain times of the year, people would migrate in various directions with their herds. Mm -hmm. And they would go out for various periods of time. You may go out for like five, six months at a time. You're carrying your herds in various directions to um, um, uh, habitable land to feed and grow your herds. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, folks would come back, uh, you know, at... Um, um, uh, specific identified times where they would have annual ceremony and during these major ceremonies there were all kinds of things that were going on very festive and it was spiritual uh, but um, uh, uh, spiritual and uh, cultural uh, celebration and this is where the Hodge comes from mm. so the Hodge the very concept of the Hodge is what people coming back from various diverse areas to mm. a so-called holy place and having festivity you know and all but at the basis of Islam um, is the African uh, foundation that was appropriated uh, upon conquest. Mm. I feel like most religions or all the major religions are appropriated in some way. Yeah, they are. I mean, if you're talking about white uh, religions, you're talking uh, Hinduism, which uh, comes out of two systems, the uh, systems of Africans of Kemet and the Africans of Nubia. Mm-hmm. Now, tell the people that don't understand what is Kemet, modern day, what's Nubia. Kemet is um, uh, what uh, folks uh, refer to uh, today uh, by misnomer as uh, Egypt or mm -hmm. ancient Egypt. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nubia um, is that in the areas of Sudan, um, uh, um, Ethiopia, Eritrea, mm -hmm. you know, those areas south of. Uh, of Kemet, and they are two African civilizations, but they are distinct. Most people don't know that they are distinct civilizations. Right. As I just indicated, that one was a pastoral civilization, that's the Nubian civilization, and it's older than Kemet mm. uh, by um, a couple of thousand years. And then Kemet was a farming civilization. Mm -hmm. So, um, so for your listening audience, so that you know, civilization is defined by food. It's defined by how people procure their food. So there are only three civilizations. Mm -hmm. There's the uh, Nubian, I mean, there's the uh, oldest um, civilization is the African gatherer-hunter civilization, which is several million years old. That's the oldest. Mm -hmm. And then there's the Nubian, which is the second oldest civilization, Nubian pastoral, which is only like thousands of years old. So it's uh, by today, uh, these uh, standards, it's 12,000 years old. And then Kemet, which is the farming civilization, wow. which is only 10,000 years old. It's the youngest. How old are white uh, people? So white folk, I mean, white people, if you're talking about the age of white people, you're talking about about 40,000 years old, mm -hmm. um, who... Now that's just a story in and of itself. Because now you're carrying me in another direction. Okay, I don't want to. I want to go. So let's. So I want to touch on it, but I don't. I don't want to go too far uh, into that rabbit hole. That's why I was saying okay. that earlier. So look. Yeah. So you you were in, in the military. You went. You proclaimed or uh -huh. Islam. I'm, I'm Islamic, and then you yeah. got out of that. I got out of it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you got some knowledge. So let's go from there. Yeah. Um. I. What did I do? I, I started reading. I'm just, I was a voracious reader mm -hmm. uh, at the time. And I remember um, at some point I, I was in a mosque. I was in, in, Bal in Baltimore, you were in the nation and everybody knows mosque number six because that is the mosque. Mm. And uh, Holly, I don't think anybody knew my name. 
you know, at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was known as the brother with the book because I kept a book and I read all day long mm -hmm. uh, with a book. And I just, I remember uh, like one of the last times being there, sitting in a hallway and uh, reading the autobiography of Malcolm X and a brother pulled me up. He said, brother, you know, do you know uh, <laughs> what you're doing? No, mm -hmm. okay. And he went on to tell me the story between, you know, Malcolm and uh, mm -hmm. Elijah Muhammad. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And what I was doing was committing a, an offense, mm. you know, to be reading that in a mosque. So um, I, from there, I, I know somehow or another, I end up in a conversation with a brother who turned me on to a bookstore of a now good friend of mine, uh, Paul Coates, who had a bookstore called um, Panaf Books out of his home. Mm. He had a garage that he converted into a bookstore. Wow. I got turned on to that, and then that was... That was it. You know, see, I, I, I was a reader since I was a little... The little child mm -hmm. so I love reading yeah. and uh, but when I got to that bookstore I mean then the world opened up for me because mm -hmm. then I got turned on to Dr. Yosef Benyakinen mm -hmm. and um, his works and to this day he's my favorite historian but I read his works I got a uh, black man at an, well, I didn't get him at Paul I got turned on to him but I ended up uh, um, going to lectures I saw Dr. Ben for the first time in oh, 1978 okay. and at these lectures he brought his books he used to self-publish so I bought uh, his books, Black Man of the Nile, Africa, Mother of the Western, uh, Africa, African Origins of the Major, I mean, Africa, Mother of Western Civilization, African Origins of the Major Western Religions. I can go on and name all these different books of his, but I read his work cover to cover. Then my second favorite historian, 78, I got turned on to a Cheikh Ante Diop, African Origins of Civilization, Cultural Unity of Black. I mean, the world just opened up, man. It was a lot of work out there to read, and I read everything. You know, so that, uh, put me on the path to um, being somewhat of a historian, you know, uh, as a, or I should say a student of history, yeah. you know, in that regard. And then I, I, I not only read black history, historians, because you had to read the white ones also to read what they were saying. So I read Budge and Breasted and all these white characters. You learn a lot from them as well. And um, um, so there, but also I also was looking for um, like I said, I became politically activated, looking to um, fight on behalf of black folks. But by 76, most of the organizations that I knew of were defunct. You know, Panther Party formed in, in uh, 1966, pretty much was defunct by 76, you know, through the attacks of Pro. Um Organizations like the Republic of New Africa with Amaria Obadeli, uh, pretty much defunct. Um, Obadeli, you know, people like the leaders of organizations were killed in prison, debilitated in some kind of way. I just remember in, um, I think it was 78 that I met Obadeli who had just come out of prison from, you know, trumped up charges and had been in prison for a good time. Uh, the organizations still were going in name, but they didn't have the power, the thrust of the 60s that people talk about. And uh, so I'm looking for leaders, but the leaders weren't there. And, uh, but I'm constantly studying and wanting to do things. And so I did, I used to do a lecture series uh, based on what I learned. Um, and, uh, and then um, not finding leaders, I became one. Not because I wanted to, you know, I saw myself more as a soldier, I always did, still do. Uh, but I began to take on responsibility. So I founded Tanefa Ankh, the uh, organization I have now, which has gone through different iterations, I guess I should say. 
uh, but I've done lectures. So we did Freedom Forum, you know, in Baltimore for several years, where it was a, a monthly lecture series covering every topic, okay. you know, uh, relative to the health and welfare of uh, uh, our community and just doing other things that were of service. I happen to be one of these kind of people. I'm a fix-it yeah. uh, kind of done. person. So if you say something to me about problems, I'm a problem solver. I like to you know do things. So, for example, we weren't in the outdoors. I love the outdoors. I mean, I grew up in the community I grew up in, um, walking distance to a tributary of the Chesapeake Bay where I used to go crabbing quite a bit, mm. almost every day. Yeah. And uh, to the other side of me was woods, you know, two blocks from me was a little small wooded area. I grew up, mm -hmm. you know, recreation in the woods. Mm -hmm. And uh, and as I got older, I realized those were two things I wanted, woods to one door, the woods to the other, Yeah. And uh, which I still like. So I founded Journey Outdoors, you know, uh, nice. introducing black people to hiking, cycling, kayaking, canoeing, rock climbing, scuba diving. So if you see a gap, yeah. you're going to fill it, huh? Oh. That's it's like that. I'm compelled in a certain kind of yeah. way. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want you to really like explain to the people like what the comedic way is. Um, is it a religion? Is it just a spiritual system uh, or just a culture, a way of life? How would you break that down? to someone? It's a way of life. Okay. And um, so for our people to let, understand this, our people um, uh, from whether it's Kemet, um, the Nubian uh, civilization or the civilization of the gatherer hunter mm -hmm. refer to it now by some of their um, present day gatherer hunters mm -hmm. uh, who principally live in the southern regions of Africa the Twa, the Kori, and San mm -hmm. that they are it's a way of life Okay, a um, way of life is a system for improving uh, one's quality of life in other words what our people did was they queried their existence, right? How do I improve? How do, how do I eat? How am I going to eat is a question that we ask every day. How am I going to eat? Our folks answered that question. And uh, the systems that they used were designed to provide food for them. How, you know, how am I going to, to survive in the environment? And, uh, and uh, so out of those questions, they developed um, the answers that came um, by in, in, in enabling them to provide shelter uh, for themselves. So it's a system for improving the quality of life. Okay. Based and, and, and so in those systems, those systems function or, or excuse me, focused around three things, food, resources, and comfort. Mm -hmm. Three things that you deal with every day right now. Mm -hmm. Food, you checked in before you left the house, <laughs> right? Whether or not you were eating. Mm -hmm. Comfort. How you felt, comfort in your clothing, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. right? You checked in on that, you right. know, am I all right with what I got on? Yeah. Uh, comfort when you walked into this office, you know, yeah, am I comfortable? Am I comfortable sitting here in front of this brother? Am I comfortable? Food, resources, and comfort, mm -hmm. you know. You uh, check your bank account uh, today, whether you went online or not, but you know what's in the bank. You know, you ran that through your mind. Your money, my mortgage paid, my rent paid, you know, how much mm. money do I have? What can I spare? Mm -hmm. Whatever. These are things that our ancestors dealt with every day, food, resources, and comfort. Okay. So they develop systems. And those systems are faith-based systems um, in the sense that, now when I say faith-based systems in that, in the, you're going back to the beginning and you look at our earliest ancestors, they who were 
um, gatherer hunters who are living out in the environment. They are engaged in the environment, which is a living entity. Mm -hmm. And they are, you know, their relationship with the environment is infor informing them on how to live in the environment. So the way of life is a conversation with creation. Okay. All right. Or what we do and how we do it. And creation will inform you. Mm. Right. When it rains, you can either stay there or it will inform you what? Seek some shelter. Mm -hmm. Can't find some, create some. Right. And uh, so that basically is what a way of life is, is a conversation with creation around what we do to improve our quality of life. And from one generation to the next, our quality of life has improved because whatever it is that you learn, you've taught it, you teach it to your offspring. They learn from you uh uh, in a fraction of the time it takes you to learn what you've learned. Uh, and then they also juxtapose that with what they learn mm -hmm. and they teach that to their offspring. Mm. So over time, the body of information becomes accumulated, right? So a hundred generations from you would know a whole lot more than what you knew. Well, you would hope so. No, they will. Mm. There, there's no question about that. People don't go backwards into dumbness unless there's something in the way. So you think, um, would you say that Black folks, African folks of today are smarter than what they were. It's not about smartness. It's about um, what you know, what the apparatus is that enables you to go forward and advance. I said what I was saying is people don't go backwards unless there's something in the way of preventing them to go forward. Is you know your life makes mm. a natural progression on improving your life. Mm -hmm. It's just a natural um, um, uh, orientation of human human existence. Mm -hmm. Uh, what gets in our way is colonization, slavery, people depriving you of the body of knowledge, separating you from that. Mm. Um, so, the um, so the what we're looking at is a way of life, and I say a way of life specifically because life is what it's about. Mm -hmm. It's a way of life, mm -hmm. living, how to live. Okay. How to, you know, it's a system that our ancestors said, if you take this on, this system, and you live this way, you will have success. You will have abundance and you will have prosperity. Mm -hmm. You will have joy and you will have happiness. Hence, a way. Mm. Do it this way. Mm -hmm. So for uh, when we look at Kemet, Kemet uh, in the progression of um, the way of life became the penultimate civilization among African people, and I'll, I'll give you the, the one of the critical distinctions. So our people, we know we go back as early as five million years on this planet. So for the first four million nine hundred thousand years, anthropology, anthropology shows that our population grew from whatever the handful was to approximately 10 million people. That's in almost five million years. The population that's only grew to 10. Pretty slow. That's very slow and very few people. Mm -hmm. You got more than 10 million people here on the West Coast alone, not right. much less the planet. Yeah. Now, with the advent of, of animal herding, there's a change in access to food. Mm -hmm. Because now you have what? You have food right here next to you, meat. Meat, milk, and blood. Mm -hmm. All right. And this is what the animal, you know, herders are, are now are eating in addition to the foods that they are gathering and that they are hunting. Mm -hmm. So the population began to grow a bit more. Why? Because you didn't have to spend as much time hunting and gathering as much labor. Mm. So uh, with 
the, uh, the, the time that you now have, there's more uh, intimacy mm-hmm. on the part of the, um, uh, the animal herder, and more intimacy led to more uh, cohabitation mm-hmm. and increase in human population. Now, uh, 2,000 years later, our folks shifted to farming, or segment of our folks, mm-hmm. shifted to farming. And what did farming do? Farming now gave us knowledge and control of the seed. And so with the seed, you can now plant food in abundance. Mm. <coughs> and so now you have what? Gardens and farms everywhere in So Kenneth. about how long ago would you say the farming began? 10,000 years ago. 10,000, okay. All right, 8,000 BC. Okay. But here's the difference. At 8,000 BC, up until about 8,000 BC, the human population is estimated at 10 million people on the planet. Now, does that speak to um, Homo sapien and Neanderthals? Yeah, like I said, humans on the planet, period. And you would okay. consider Neanderthals as? And any kind of okay. <clears throat> species cool. right. on the planet. 10 million. Mm-hmm. 8,000 years later, going from 8,000 BC to zero, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The population explodes mm-hmm. from 10 million to 300 million. Mm-hmm. That's exponential. Mm-hmm. Look at that growth, right? That's due to food. Food, right? Okay. And a quarter of that time, and a quarter of that time, from 8,000 BC, I mean, excuse me, from zero to 2000 AD, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. One fourth of 8,000 years, right? Mm-hmm. The population goes from 300 million to seven and a half billion. Mm. That's wild. Food. Due to Kemet. So tell me how Kemet. So that. now, due so- to Kemet. Okay. Kemet was a farming society. So, so part of this... everyone else. Right. So part of this answers the question of, you said somebody asked, well, then why do we focus so much on Kemet and we're not talking about other places? Kemet is responsible for more societies around the planet, mm. right? In terms of uh, developing societies and human population growth around the planet than these other societies. And that's why you see uh, pyramids everywhere. Pyramids everywhere. So when you look at, uh, I teach a course called a SAW abroad. A SAW is the um, preeminent life force in Kemet around farming. Okay. It's the embodiment of agriculture. The life force is the embodiment of agriculture. Mm. So when our ancestors migrated to the different areas around the planet, they did so in the name of Asar. They even named places after Asar. So in Asia Minor, for example, there's a place called Asar. Mm. Then when we move further east and name places after him, is we named them after Asar. So the name that you use for Asia is Asar. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's Asar, the embodiment of agriculture. Mm-hmm. So as uh, so when you look at <clears throat> where our people have migrated, Sumer in Asia Minor is a society from Kemet. <clears throat> Sumerians. So Harappa. Explain real quick, Let Asia me, Minor, what... Asia Minor is going further east. So you're now talking about um, uh, um, uh, Saudi Arabia, Mm -hmm. Iran, Iraq, in that area. Because people people migrated along the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. And and what they did was, as they migrated, they were actually sent out to create territories 
to farming lands, mm -hmm. to generate more food, actually to bring back to Kemet. Mm -hmm. But people settled where they generated foods. Mm -hmm. And so towns and cities and towns uh, sprang up around that, that literally were products of Kemet. So this is in uh, the areas of uh, along the Tigris and Euphrates River, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq. What? Moving further east mm -hmm. uh, to uh, the areas of India along the Indus rivers, then you have Harappa, which is of Kemet. Then moving even further east, far east, excuse me, into the areas you now called uh, China, uh, Far East Asia along the Yellow River, the Yangtze River, our ancestors uh, established societies that were that today is known as the Shang mm -hmm. uh, River. I mean, yeah, known the people, the societies known as Shang. Then um, <clears throat> um, moving along the, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> moving along the um, the Danube River, going uh, north uh, northwest and uh, to what we call now Western Europe, our ancestors established. Um, what is known as Tanay. Few people know about Tanay. Mm. But Tanay is the general name of that society that our folks established and going in that direction. Mm -hmm. And then as our folks were pushed from invaders coming out of far Northeast Asia, pushed and crossed over the Atlantic and the Pacific and came into Mesoamerica, where we are now, mm -hmm. uh, in the southern regions of, uh, the, of the US, Florida, uh, uh, Mississippi area, uh, Texas, on through um, uh, Central America, Mexico, mm -hmm. um, uh, Nicaragua, Guatemala, um, the northern portions of uh, South America, and the barrier islands, Cuba, and uh, these islands, um, Haiti and all, mm -hmm. our folks created Olmec. <clears throat> mm. the, the beauty about Olmec that most people don't know and don't fully understand, this is why you have to know history. Yeah don't fully understand is, is that all these societies that I just mentioned, Kemet, Nubia, Suma, Harappa, Shang, are African societies mm -hmm. that came out of Kemet. Mm -hmm. All these people, I mean, people from each one of these societies collectively migrated to this area and created a society larger than any of the areas they came from. Mm. So Olmec in this area, geographically, is actually larger than Kemet, larger than Nubia, larger than Suma, larger than Shang. And once again, Olmec is, you said, all the islands and... It, it the, the circumference mm -hmm. of, of, of Shang uh, starts, I mean, of Olmec, starts at, really at the Barrier Islands. Okay. So the Barrier Islands, the islands that you've come into, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, Cuba, um, Haiti... Uh, you know, all the, the yeah. uh, just a whole chain of islands. And, um, and, and our people came here, but they didn't, they, they didn't establish major uh, societies on these islands. Why? Because you and I know that these islands are what? They're in the hurricane. Island. Right, for sure. All right? Mm -hmm. And so what they ended up doing was they crossed over the Gulf, mm -hmm. moving west. Uh, uh, the Gulf, and as they crossed over the Gulf, they settled in the areas that we now call areas like Nicaragua um, Central and, uh, Central, and Central America. Mm -hmm. And not only there, but they also uh, settled along uh, some of the southern areas of um, what we now call the U.S. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we find artifacts of them there, and then the artifacts of them uh, in um, the areas of South America, but mainly in uh, the areas of um, Central America that we have the Omec. And in, in those areas, you can identify Kemet, you can identify Nubia, you can identify Suma, you can identify migrant, African migrants from each one of these societies. Because one of the things about Omec, when you look at it and you see these different African groups coming there, you don't see them at war. And one of the things as I was writing this book, I kept asking myself, why weren't these folks fighting each other? Mm. And they weren't fighting each other because they shared a common thread, a common civilization, mm. a common faith. And interestingly, so, you know, for your, for your listeners, that when we talk about um, civilization, a way of life, and their faith, they're the same. So for the gatherer hunter, that's his, his her way of life, but it is their faith. Mm-hmm. It is their religion. Mm-hmm. It is what they consider that the creator gave them as a gift and guided them in that way. So they celebrate uh, the creator, and they celebrate creation in the way of their life. So, for example, for the gatherer hunter who considered the elements of creation, the sacred tree, the sacred water, the sacred sun, the sacred moon, the sacred earth, they celebrate those elements mm. as great life forces. So there is no... Um... Well, I mean, let's let's talk about the, the the deity. Like, there's no organization of it. It's yeah, just oh, everyone... there's a structure. Okay, so there there's a structure. So, what am I what am I trying to get at? So, you want to know what that structure is? Not not necessarily. Um, not at this point. I want to know what was it called? The way. It was just called the, <laughs> the way. way. Everybody called and it so, the way. So, I just want to know how people yeah. were. Everybody was on the same page, like. There was there like so with with the way mm-hmm. they knew that they practiced did they practice certain ritual or like what they did I, certain, I guess we do have they to practice certain certain rituals okay. they did certain things because okay. imagine the first day okay uh, when I teach class this is why I I, I I I start with the students mm-hmm. all right first day of human existence on this planet what are you beset with what do you mean what are your challenges. What must you do? What's on your mind? I'm just looking around like, what's what's going I don't even know what this is. You're not just looking around. Well, you're probably hungry, so you You don't to even do that to this day. You just look around. Nobody does. So, the thing is that what you're beset with is... Well, not as an adult. Comfort. <laughs> you're beset with comfort. Yeah. Your natural inclinations will drive you to seek food. Yeah, you'd be hungry. To address hunger. For sure. Your natural inclination will drive you to seek comfort. Are you comfortable in the settings in which you are? Mm. So, for example, if it's extremely hot, you would naturally seek what? A cooler um, uh, uh, environment to be in. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, if you feel danger, you would naturally seek safety. All right? So, our people from day one began the process of a better way mm-hmm. than the conditions that they were in. Mm-hmm. So the hunger would propel you, compel you, and propel you mm-hmm. to seeking food. 
And you will seek food by way of what? Least resistance. So the least resistance in terms of food is what? Plant life. Oh, yeah. Things that you can just go grab. Yeah. That's gathering and hunting. berries and, yeah, for sure. You are tasting things because you have no idea of what is what. Right. So some things you're going to taste and eat, you're going to get sick. Some things may kill you. So you observe from others getting sick and, you know, learn from that experience, right? Mm -hmm. So if you learn from that experience, you do what? You avoid. Mm. And you say it to what? Your offspring. You teach them to avoid okay. certain things. Mm -hmm. All right? So you also, in your uh, quest, realize what? Now you need to eat as often as you can to stay satisfied, mm -hmm. to nourish yourself. And so depending on where you are, you go out gathering food on a regular basis, right? Mm -hmm. While you're out there, you're also, uh, you know, you're learning about this environment. This is something you don't know. Mm -hmm. You don't know anything about the sun. You don't know anything about the geographical environment, about a tree or about a plant or about water. You're learning these things. Mm -hmm. And they are alive just like you are. Mm -hmm. So as we're engaging these things, our folks are engaging them in learning from them. All right. And as they are learning from them, they are discerning relationships because that's what faiths are. They're relationships. So discerning their relationships to this tree. This tree is feeding them. Right. So the tree becomes important in their life. The water is feeding them. So is all this fit to like the origin story that, that you all believe? That well, man yeah. kind of just not fumbled his way, but just just kind of like figured stuff out. Beings, after he was created human beings engaged the mm -hmm. world in a life and a quest for life okay and a quest to sustain life right and mm -hmm. to improve their quality of life and in doing so as they are engaging the world they're learning mm -hmm. so they're building bodies of information about the world but mm -hmm. as they also are engaging the world they recognize that the world is living and it's teaching them things mm -hmm. All right. Okay. And so they see this as a conversation. That conversation is, you know, conversation is a give and take. Mm -hmm. And so in this conversation, the plants are telling them how to live. Mm -hmm. The animals are telling them how to live. Mm -hmm. The sun is telling them how to live. And in this, they also are asking of them various things. So from the sun that gives them what? Light gives them warmth, mm -hmm. protection from darkness, because in darkness they become victims to animals, night predators, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so the sun is seen as what? As a savior, it's a hero, mm -hmm. it, you know what I mean? And so the sun coming in, coming up was in their um, conversation with the sun, what would they ask the sun? I don't know. Don't leave, please stay. And when the sun leaves and it so-called sets, you know what I mean? Well, why would you say that if you need to go to sleep? Because you need to rest. Well, you need to sleep, but also you will still want protection. Be hard to sleep if you are having to defend yourself against night predators. You know what I mean? So, But if you, if you live in an area where you're not exposed to night predators... If you find a, a good space, a good spot, then, then you, you don't have, have a, to worry about that. Then you have a different that. conversation. You, you, you solve that problem really Then you quickly. have a different conversation. But yeah. you ever been caught out at night? Me? <laughs> yeah. A time uh, or two. Okay. And you were looking for what? Some light, weren't you? I, you did check, I wish I had a gun on me. That's what I was But I'm just saying, well, that was protection. You wish you had some protection. <laughs> 
So what I'm saying, you're looking for everything that you can have. Mm -hmm. And so our folks in conversation with the world learned from the world. So it seems pretty pretty basic just like learning how to live life as a it's human basic being. but it's also complex because there's a lot to learn i mean like word to, i mean i'm just saying like uh, the foundation of it is just like survival learning how to live your best uh, the best life possible it's, yeah it's a basic human of, drive but mm-hmm. the process is very complex mm-hmm. you know process so out of this our folks over the thousands of years of gather hunter lifestyle mm-hmm. like for example those in the and the southern regions of Africa became extremely mm-hmm. knowledgeable of their environment. They knew every plant in their environment. They knew the life cycle of every mm-hmm. plant in their environment, every insect in their environment. Mm-hmm. They knew the cycle of the sun. They knew the cycles of the moon. So they actually developed stellar calendars. So they traveled by the stars because at times they could also travel at night. Definitely. So for those, for example, that lived in a hotter climate, like um, um, the Zambezi, I mean, uh, around the Zambezi, uh, the uh, those in the, in the areas of Namibia, desert area, mm-hmm. who traveled during the day was a little more difficult because of the uh, mm-hmm. overbearing, yeah, power, mm-hmm. power of the sun. Mm-hmm. So some of them traveled at at night, mm-hmm. and they would travel by the stellar, by the stars. So those the people stars. aren't asking for the sun; they asking for the moon. <clears throat> they're right? asking for the sun at certain times, but yeah, they are asking for the moon, or they're asking for the stars. Mm-hmm. So um, our folks learned. Yeah. You know, and so for these people, their civilization became a very complex and knowledgeable civilization. Yeah. You know, over 666,000 generations of knowledge. That's why I say I feel like people in the past days or just people that kind of live based upon the earth and the moon and the stars, mm-hmm. they are more advanced and smarter than the modern day. They're more knowledgeable. More knowledgeable way more knowledgeable right. have much better instincts they can yeah. survive without technology or without and they still do it to this day and they still do it and if you put modern day of African American mm-hmm. in the same environment as them it's a wrap it's well yeah over. but it's technology based so if you take one of them and put them in this environment it's a wrap for them too isn't it nah they can they can learn it they <clears throat> no, can well, learn it I mean they can learn it just like you can learn it but I mean, if they had to do it in a day, it'd I be feel a like technology you can learn faster because I got a four-year-old that can work my phone just as well as I can. Yeah, but you're not going. But the four-year-old can't survive in the wilderness at readily available as they can't pick up those skills the as quick as they can. Aspect of it, you know. Um, so it is uh, technologically based. Mm-hmm. The technology is how people procure their food. So for the gatherer hunter, they had a way of life mm-hmm. that uh, sustained them for millions of years. Mm-hmm. It's their faith. Their life forces guide them. They believe in their life forces guiding them in that way. So they celebrated life forces that were higher than them. The sacred earth, the sacred sun, the sacred moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so, and then with the gatherer hunter, I mean, excuse me, with the animal uh, herders, they celebrated the life forces that fed them. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the sacred cow, the sacred goat, the sacred sheep. You know of those faiths too, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So out of that, for example, uh, the faith of the sacred bull and the sacred cow, African people celebrated um, these life, celebrated them as life forces that manifest, in other words, the creator manifesting to them in this way mm-hmm. and guiding them in this way. So mm-hmm. you've heard the saying, eat of me, you know, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood and you shall live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what the cow says to the 
to the uh, 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 to the animal herder, right? Mm-hmm. Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, and you shall live, mm-hmm. right? So, African people and uh, the Nubian pastoral faith, for example, when they migrated east, their faith flourished. So when they migrated, for example, to the Indian subcontinent, folks from uh, from uh, Naga and uh, uh, um, uh, the areas of uh, of um, uh, Uganda, Rwanda, uh, um, soci- early societies that were known as Naga, um, um, the Nubian mi- folks migrated there and carried their faith, and their faith flourished. And out of that uh, came the faith of Buddha. Mm-hmm. Buddhism is a pastoral faith. Mm. You know, and um, so Buddhism is 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 um, rooted in uh, the faith of Naga Hinduism. Mm-hmm. That is the whites who invaded India and conquered the African people. Uh, they are also known as Dravidian, uh, uh, Mandu, mm. uh, Deus and Desa, uh, were conquered by the whites who uh, were known as Aryans. Mm-hmm. And as they took the African way of life and developed the faith of Brahmin, mm-hmm. and out of Brahmin came Hinduism. Mm-hmm. And Hinduism is what? Faith of the sacred cow. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and so, um, so when our people became animal herders, they celebrated that way of life. Mm-hmm. And they revered the, the force, that the, the elements, the life force that fed them. And uh, moving to farming, our folks... Um, celebrated the life force that fed them and that's the sacred seed the sacred plant you know and the fruit you know of that plant hence agriculture you know which is a sacred way of life mm-hmm. so so that that sounds good it sounds really good like foundationally yeah but i well what's the but but let's go into the more recent like dynasties mm-hmm. not more recent but you know the, the the dynasties of Egypt, all the pharaohs. The significance of it. Were okay. they practicing what you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, Kemet was an agricultural society from beginning to end. But did but but the pharaohs had people worship them, and the pharaohs would call themselves. God. Well, you you have to know the African faith. <clears throat> so in the African faith, going back to the earliest time, um, in the uh, African society, the earliest celebration of, of the human being really centered around the uh, the Divine Mother. Okay. The Divine Mother. And the Divine Mother because at one point it wasn't understood how the mother became pregnant. So it was believed that she became pregnant by way of the sun. Mm-hmm. Right? The spirit mm-hmm. of the sun. Mm-hmm. She instantaneously became pregnant. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was thought that the sun impregnated her. Hence the Today you call it the Immaculate Conception, mm-hmm. and uh, so she was celebrated. The the, the pregnant uh, female was celebrated as the consort of the sun. Mm-hmm. In the Nubian uh, society, that's the Gather Hunter Society. Mm-hmm. In the Nubian society, the um, uh, the societies were more likely governed by women than they were men. Mm-hmm. And in this society, the mother governed with her son. Mm. All right. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the societies, you you may have heard of the Kandakes. If you start studying African history, right? I haven't. I haven't. You ever heard of, you've heard of the uh, queens of uh, uh, the Nubian queens? Yes. The, those are the Kandakes. Okay. The Kandakes. You've heard of uh, Queen of Sheba? Yes. It's Queen of Saba. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And Saba was a, a Nubian, uh, a society of Kush mm-hmm. um, that actually was on both shores, the uh, shores of Eastern Africa and on the shores of the Arabian Peninsula. Mm. So it was a very vast um, um, society, mm-hmm. queens of Saba. Mm-hmm. Not just the queen of Saba, there were queens, queens. of Saba. Okay. Uh, the queens of um, uh, Saba. So in the new, and so what occurs is, is that she sat on the throne as a divine entity. Mm-hmm. Okay, as a mother of the gods. Mm-hmm. Why? Because she was considered to have been impregnated by the sun, by the sun, one who gave birth to the elements. Right. Mm-hmm. And Kemet, that faith continued. So on the uh, on the throne. The uh, so in, in Kemet, when Kemet became a farming society, Kemet elevated the man in the society to co equal status with the woman. Hmm. So that in that society, they continued the faith of the divine mother. Mm-hmm. She became the embodiment of the throne, mm-hmm. she was the throne. And so, you either had to be born of a divine mother or Mary. A divine mother, mm-hmm. right? The in order to assume the throne, the male in becoming an insubiti, uh, what folks that uh, they call the pharaoh, and becoming an insubiti is perceived sacredly to have been born of the sun, mm-hmm. son of the sun. Now. Um, this gets a little complicated uh, to try to share it in a short kind of way because in Kemet, Kemet kept the faith of each of the societies, each of the civilizations that came before it, the gather hunter and the Nubian pastoral mm-hmm. uh, faith. So the Insubiti, when he comes to the throne, he's not only considered to be the son of the sun, right? Mm-hmm. He is the embodiment of Asar, he is the seed. He's the living seed. Mm. He's the living life force of agriculture itself. Mm-hmm. All right? He also is considered to be born of a wild cow and a wild bull. This is in reference to the pastoral civilization that came before. You know what I mean? So he has different manifestations mm-hmm. based on the ways of life, the lifestyles of African people. All of that is embedded in who this person is. So in other words, what I'm saying to you is he's not a human being. The Pharaoh, the, according to Biti, is celebrated as a life force. As a life force. As a life force, not mm-hmm. a human being. Okay, so but let's he's sacred. So let's rewind it back. And she's sacred. And she's sacred. Yeah. So let's rewind it back. So they believed that that the woman and this, the first woman was impregnated by the sun. By the sun. Okay. Was there a moment in time where this civilization, this group of people, rejected that belief to be false? No, because their lifestyle continues to okay. this day. You, intellectually, do you believe that to be true or false? Intellectually, I accept the culture of my folks in terms of the understanding. I'm saying what that is. a woman being I'm, impregnated uh, yes, by I'm going to get to that. I'm mm-hmm. going to get to that. Why? Because what they are celebrating is they are celebrating that there is a spirit force that comes outside of them. Mm-hmm. 
that enables life to occur. It's mm-hmm. outside of them. It's outside of you. I accept that, and I know that to be fact. Yeah. You understand? I know that my existence isn't simply based on my mother and my father, mm-hmm. or their mother and father. It's mm-hmm. based on something else greater than them. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I also know that that life force embodies all living things. And that's what they celebrated, that life force that embodies all living things. Mm-hmm. So in their leadership, their leadership, they celebrated their leadership as an entity or a person who was invested mm-hmm. with a greater, let's say, uh, 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 amount, I'll use that word, mm. of that life force. Mm. Or as a person who represented that life force on earth or right here in front of us. So is that why we don't see comedic people as a group today? I missed that. What is that we why? Don't see them? Well, if the civilization was predicated on this person who they could worship as the life they force. didn't worship him and that's another thing too oh, i'm sorry not worship who they, they could, revered who they would revere as but a they life didn't worship force. yeah okay so they don't they don't worship but they uh-huh. revere the the queen and yeah. the pharaoh the king who was the embodiment of who was it um uh, asar asar so uh, because uh-huh. is there someone today who you could point to and say this man here is the embodiment of a SAR. Of a life force in that kind of sense? Mm-hmm. Taking Ghana to this day. They call him the king, but the king is not the right term. So the ruler of Ghana today, the, the political spiritual ruler of Ghana today is revered in that way. By as a By the people in Ghana, as a sacred force. Not in Ghana. So though. in Yoruba, mm-hmm. okay, which is a faith that literally derived from African people who migrated from the east to the West, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, and from whence that faith occurred, you still have remnants of that faith there, mm-hmm. where the 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 wife, quote quote queen, which isn't the right title, mm-hmm. but the queen there, she is the embodiment of the throne. She is the throne, mm-hmm. and his right to that throne is through her. So you still have it today. Mm-hmm. Now, where you don't have it in the rest of the world, you're talking about conquest. Mm-hmm. And at the hands of white people, conquest of, of white people, Arabs and Europeans, principally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what I'm trying to get at is like mm-hmm. the comedic way, or just this African spiritualization, is not. Well, you said conquest, but like it's it's not consistent, as far from what I can see, anywhere in the world, as far as like a prevalent way of life, a prevalent culture. Now, there are many of us all over the world, mm-hmm. but not many practicing. So how did how did it go from prevalent spreading across the globe mm-hmm. to barely being practiced across? The so globe? then you're talking global conquest is what you're talking. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's, it's, it's the it's, most and effective. It's still, and it's still practice. Like I said, <clears throat> and on smaller levels all over mm-hmm. the all over the planet, you don't hear about it, and you don't see it. Why? Mm-hmm. Because our folks are not what in power today. So I mean, to be in power, you're talking about to have military power mm-hmm. today in order to force your way. Mm-hmm. So militarily, our people have basically have been conquered, and even with the faith that we practice, there are remnants of the faith and given even in Africa, there are remnants of this faith that are still being practiced. Mm-hmm. But you would not know about it. And under the conquest, excuse me, that has occurred mm-hmm. on every continent uh, of this planet, 
the conquest that has occurred, the conqueror has been very active to not only conquer people militarily, but to conquer people culturally, mm -hmm. to destroy the culture. Mm -hmm. So that if you, one of the things is, if I, if I uh, uh, um, um, destroy your identity, if I destabilize your identity, right, and disrupt your identity, mm -hmm. you'd have difficulty mm -hmm. moving against me, mm -hmm. right, as an adversary. Mm -hmm. You know, so take here in North America, our folks came here as African people. Right? Being enslaved here. So a part of that enslaving process was to do what? Disrupt the culture, destroy the culture, debilitate the culture, right? Separate people from their culture. So in that particular way, we lost our language, we lost our history, the body of knowledge that we had, our way of life. All of that has been separated, right? Mm -hmm. And taken from us. And so in that void, in that void of language, what do we end up doing? Speaking the language of the enslaver. In that void of spirituality and faith, what do we end up doing? So that we could speak a language of faith, we ended up uh, adopting, not only adopting, but also that faith being imposed upon us. Mm -hmm. So we end up coming up Christians. Mm. You know, that's a part of conquest, mm -hmm. of people imposing their way you know, on you. So this is what you've seen all over the world. So when you talk about the Crusades, I mean, the Crusade with white people's conquest for material wealth mm -hmm. around the planet, I mean, attendant to that was a, a cult, the conquest of culture. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? To impose themselves culturally mm -hmm. around the planet. So the um, this de uh, um, um, denigrating of African identity mm. an African way of life mm. went hand in hand with that conquest but also hand in hand with that conquest was what the elevation of the European way of life or the Arab way of life getting back to why <laughs> the Africans on the continent are, Arab, are, are Muslims mm -hmm. so the elevation mm -hmm. so when you look at um, take take Islam the tenets of Islam in um, elevating the Arab culture what is elevated are five, you know, five, the five basic tenets. The Arab language. So Arabic is considered to be what? The holy language. So if you're a Muslim anywhere in the world, I don't care mm -hmm. what language you speak, right? If you mm -hmm. speak English, French, Spanish, Portuguese, whatever it is, <clears throat> it is considered not to be holy. Mm -hmm. One language, Arabic, mm. right? The holy land. I don't care where you are on the planet. If the land that you are living in right now is feeding you, it is not considered to be holy as what? Mecca, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Okay, the history, Arab history, the history associated with Muhammad is the holy history, mm. right? Mm -hmm. The God, right? Mm -hmm. It's considered to be what? You know, Allah. Mm -hmm. and, when they, and they say what? There's only one God, yeah. and that God has no image. But in your mind, now imagine this, <clears throat> God has no image, but God has a messenger, a prophet. Mm -hmm. There's only one prophet, mm -hmm. and that's Muhammad. And Muhammad is an Arab. That's what the Arabs define him as, an Arab, right? Mm -hmm. So if the prophet is an Arab and everything is in the land of the Arabs, how can you not even envision that God is an Arab, but, but as an Arab? Mm -hmm. Everything is centered around Arab. So it's the elevation of the conqueror. So there is no God in... The comedic way. Um, we'll get to that, but the point that I'm making mm -hmm. is that in conquest, it is the elevation of the conqueror, okay. his way, 
everything about the conqueror is elevated while the everything about the conquered is denigrated. Mm. So the conquered is forced to do what? Celebrate the way of the conqueror. Mm -hmm. That's why in Africa, black folks are what? Muslim, they're Christian, mm -hmm. by way of the conquerors. And we do now, what now? Fight each other over right. the systems of, uh, you know, right. by which we've been conquered. Right. So in African, you know, in African society, there's a distinction um, in what our people celebrated. Our people celebrated starting with nature. Because the very, very word netter, the very word n nature comes from the comedic word nature. Netter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. NTR. So when you read the, the language of Kemet, known as Medunetar, when it's translated, um, it only translates into consonants. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the vowels mm. are placed there by the various speakers. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when you translate the name of the, the life force, <clears throat> it's referred to as Netar mm -hmm. or Nater, NTR. Now you put an N, put an A between the N and the, and the uh, T and a U between the T and the R and your nature. Yeah. That very word that we speak of today and we refer to nature as what? The sun? Don't we? Mm -hmm. So when, when the sun is beating, mother, mother, mother nature will be playing, boy. Word. When a hurricane hit, we say what? Nature don't be playing, boy. Mm -hmm. When a flood hits, we say nature don't be playing, boy. Yeah. So every element of elements, water, air, sun, earth, mm. is referred to as nature. Word. And that's what our ancestors celebrated. Why? Because it was greater. Our ancestors were very smart. They asked a very, very, very important question. Mm -hmm. Okay? And they asked this. <clears throat> so they asked you. Okay? If the sun disappeared and did not rise tomorrow, would it make a difference to you? Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would. Mm -hmm. What would happen? It'd be dark, it'd be cold. Yeah. The sun disappeared. You'd be, you'd be in Alaska. <laughs> you wouldn't be dark. It wouldn't be cold. You no, I'm saying it would be dark. It would be cold outside. You wouldn't exist. Oh, for sure. That's the point. If air, the life the force, point. air. Well, hold on. Hold on. We'll make, let me make the, the point. point. <laughs> let me make the point. Let me make the point. So, okay. if the life force, air disappeared, would it make a difference? For to sure. You? Yeah. Okay, great. Of course. But if you didn't rise tomorrow, would it make a difference to the sun? No. To the air, to the earth, to the water. No, it wouldn't. So they understood that these elements were what? Greater than them. That they depended on these life forces for their sustenance. For sure. So they revered them. They mm -hmm. celebrated them. Mm -hmm. They thanked them. Mm -hmm. They asked them in their prayers. Because what are prayers? But conversations for more. You didn't pray to ask creation to give you more and to make your life better, or you're thanking creation for what it did. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, so, they do. Hmm? Yeah, they do. Right. Yeah. Not so, everybody I'm prays to creation. What they did. Well, yeah, what so, they did for sure. Yeah. All right. So when they prayed to creation, it was to thank them for what they did. And so they recognized that these elements were greater than them. They celebrated these creators, these elements. Now, mm -hmm. once upon a time, our ancestors used to think that these elements, uh, one or or one of these elements was the creator or mm -hmm. a combination of they the elements. They used to think. Yeah. And then what In the earliest beginning. So once upon a time, in the faith of the sacred sun, there was a belief that the sun was a creator. Mm -hmm. But human existence on the planet, as we learn, right? Mm -hmm. Our ancestors came to understand that the sun came from somewhere. Mm -hmm. There was something before the sun. 
There was something before the earth. There was something before the water. There was something before the air. And so they began to celebrate a life force, right? That they, uh, uh, and, and um, among the gather hunters, they call Amma, unseen, mm -hmm. but manifest in all of creation, mm -hmm. right? Greater than creation, bigger than creation, but yet so small, can be in the most infinitesimal whatever, mm. right? Amma. And then among the Nubians, Amun. So that would be right. the creator, the godlike figure, but not an actual person, not like a... No, never a person. Right, not like a person because that has a... Because before persons could never be a person. Right. Okay. So let's... I want to jump back to the god thing, though. The deities from Egypt, right? Uh, the letter. From yeah. the Netter. Yeah. So in oh, ancient, so in that yeah. in that belief system, or well, yeah. we all just put it in our terms because well, most because most of our I'll, I'll just just for uh -huh. the not for you, no, but yeah, for I'll, the, I'll listen to you for the people. Yeah. So what we know as ancient Egypt, mm -hmm. the pharaohs, there were deities, many deities in Egypt mm -hmm. in that in that time. Yeah. So are you saying that those deities shouldn't have came up and that people didn't worship certain gods? But they celebrated them all. And, uh, but so then, where did but the gods a, come from? There was a hierarchy. And here's, here's the thing. Here's, there was a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. So in African uh, uh, spirituality and faith, in all of African civilization, there is a hierarchy. There is the creator, one. Creator is a life force, One creator. Right? The, the life force okay. that created other life forces okay. that are below it. Okay. So, for example, the creator that created the elements that sustain creation. Mm-hmm. Right, so the sun sustains creation; is not a creator. The air sustains creation, not a creator. That's why I was making the point. Without the air, you couldn't exist. Other life couldn't exist. Right? Mm -hmm. You follow? But it's not the creator. So there's the creator that created the elements. Mm -hmm. So in this hierarchy, there's the creator, there's the elements, and then there are the principal life forces. What are the principal life forces? The principal life forces are those life forces that guide us in the way of life. So a saw, for example, is the embodiment of the living word. It is the law. He's the moral law, right? He. So, well, it, and Kemet is represented as a he in moral law. In mm -hmm. Kemet, there's Ma'at. Mm -hmm. And Ma'at is the embodiment of cosmic order and balance, represented as a she. Mm -hmm. All right? So um, she's the representative of cosmic order and balance. So in other words, our lives are guided by principles. So you're saying, are you saying that the ancient Egyptians never worshipped deities? They worship create the creator. So like they the, pay deference to the elements life forces. Yes. So they never drew embodiments of deities like a, a man with a a different animal's head. Like yeah, whatever. Yeah, the case absolutely. Might be. Yeah. Why? And so here's a question: Why? Because they conversated with the sun, and they celebrated the sun, but they knew that the sun wasn't the creator. But they celebrated the sun. They celebrated the sacred tree. Because why? That tree fed them. So they conversated with that sacred tree in prayer and paid deference to that tree mm -hmm. and asked that tree, you know what I mean, to continue to provide food, you know, for them. Mm -hmm. And they thanked that tree, you mm -hmm. know, at given times as a part of their ritual life. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you do something very similar to this day, even though you say you're a Muslim. No. Oh, oh okay. So no, you, you do something to this day when you sit down at the table. 
Mm -hmm. right? You think the source that provided the food for you, right, with a prayer mm -hmm. before you start eating. So they did that. So the tree that, that, that uh, you say Christian? Yes. Okay, so here's what Christians do. Mm -hmm. That actually come, because the Christian faith comes from Kemet. Right. All right? Mm -hmm. It's not the same as Kemet anymore because right. it was a faith that actually the invaders took the faith of Kemet and fashioned Christianity. Mm -hmm. But the faith there, because let me put it this way. Religion is made up of faiths, plural. Mm -hmm. All right? There's mm -hmm. several faiths within Christianity. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example of one of the faiths within Christianity. So around Christmas time, folks put up a tree. Well, Christmas isn't a Christian religion, or I'm, isn't it? I'm, isn't I'm a Christmas? Just, I'm, I'm, it isn't a Christian. You're talking to black type. folks in this country who are practicing know, but let's, Christian. No, no. Let but me let's not let's not say let that me, it's Christian because we know it's me, not. No, you and I know it's not. Christians do it. They do it, but that country. doesn't mean that it's Christian. I'm not arguing that point. <laughs> here's the point that I'm making. Okay, Christians in this country because the, the Christmas tree didn't come from here, in in the U.S. It came from Christians when they migrated. No, okay, it didn't. In Europe, they celebrate the tree. Right, and but they weren't hear Christians. Me, hear, me, hear me out. <laughs> hear my point, okay? So folks celebrate the tree, but when you ask them why, mm -hmm. right? Why do you celebrate the tree? Folks generally don't know. Mm -hmm. And even with the ornaments, and you ask them, what does the ornaments represent? Folks generally don't know. Just following right? tradition. Following tradition. Mm -hmm. And what is that tradition? The tradition of the sacred tree, the tree of life. What are the ornaments that people put on that tree? It's ornaments that represent the food that the tree provided, all right? Mm -hmm. And that tree also represents the cosmos, all right, that our folks celebrated also, that guided them in their life. Mm -hmm. And what did we put on the top of that tree? A star. A star mm -hmm. representing the cosmos. So I'm saying there's the faith of the sacred tree within Christianity, okay? There's the faith, right? Well, Christmas isn't, me, it isn't Christian. Come on, get point. You, 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 I'm you keep something. putting it in here, there. Here, here, hear me. Here's the faith of the sacred, of the of the uh, sacred, um, the sacred lamb, the sacred goat, the sacred cow. All right. Okay. Jesus, mm -hmm. sacred lamb. Jesus, the lamb. Mm -hmm. Eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, and you shall live. It comes from the pastoral faith. And you shall live. It comes from the pastoral faith. So when folks, so when folks do, so so when folks do the uh, what is it the um, um, uh, communion? The communion. Mm -hmm. It is the symbolic eating of the flesh and drinking of the blood of Jesus as the Lamb. Right. From the pastoral faith. So Jesus as the fish comes from the faith of the fishing communities that celebrated the sacred fish. Mm -hmm. So as I said to you earlier, a religion is, you know, an African religion, it is a combination of faiths. Okay. <clears throat> I had so many questions and then everything went blank. Okay. So, um, So let's establish this. Mm -hmm. In Egypt. Kemet. In Kemet. There were no gods. 
not gods. They're called letters. And I'm going to distinguish why I say I keep saying no gods, and you're saying gods, right? Mm -hmm. The term God refers to an external life force that basically predetermines, um, you know, what a person does and how they do how they do it, and is intimately involved in a person's behavior. So, for example, from the perspective of a person who considers themselves a Hebrew or Christian or a uh, Muslim. Mm -hmm. They define God as a life force that preordains how things occur. Mm -hmm. That's not an African faith. So in those faiths, you can almost think of God as a master puppeteer. In other words, God has already determined what your life is going to be and how it's going to be, what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. You follow? According, according to who? According to Christianity. That's not true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go, you know, if, you, if you read the works of uh, Christianity in the Bible, if you're talking even to scholarly, scholarly ministers, they will definitely tell you that God has already predetermined life itself. If you're talking to Muslims and, and, and in relationship to the Quran, it's the same. With Jews and the Torah, it's the same. That God has predetermined life. You are, and God already knows. So there's nothing that happens without the will of God. For example, if you talk to a Muslim and you say, well, I'll see you tomorrow. He says, what? Inshallah. What is he saying? May it be the will of God. That is, if God has willed it, then I'll see you tomorrow. So God is oh, in so control. You, so you're saying that um, there is no free will. In, if you're a Christian, then free will doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Okay. That's All right. So um, God, God is an intimate part of your of controlling your, it's controlling your life. It's like a master puppeteer. You're going to do mm. this today. You're going to do this today. So-and-so is going to die in a plane crash. So-and-so and so. You know, that's not the concept of, of the life force in Africa. That's why mm. I distinguish Netter from God. Mm. Okay. Because in African society, you have the creator, like I give you a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. You have the creator and that creator is basically removed. That creator has bigger and better things to do, mm -hmm. like sustaining creation and perpetuating creation. Mm -hmm. Then you have the elements life forces that sustain creation. Mm -hmm. And then you have the principal life forces that guide you through creation. So in the African society, for example, here's a critical distinction. In African society, you live by the principal life forces, but in order for them to manifest, they manifest through you. So truth manifests through you. So in this room, if we mm -hmm. wanted truth to exist, right, the life mm -hmm. force of truth to exist, it manifests by us doing what? Telling the truth. Now, here's a distinction between that and Christianity. Christianity teaches that what? Jesus is going to come mm -hmm. on his return and establish the truth. Mm -hmm. Do you follow? Facts. Oh, yeah, for sure. Those, those are two different concepts. Mm -hmm. So tell me this. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to Pharaoh. The embodiment. In Bitty. In, in, oh, oh, yeah. The, the embodiment of. Yeah. Who is it again? He is the, the embodiment of the life forces. So in other words... Let me just yeah, go ahead. Me walk He's the down. embodiment of life forces. He's the embodiment of the life forces. Yes. The queen uh -huh. represents what? She also is an embodiment of life forces, but she, she, represents, the embodiment. she represents the mm -hmm. power of the throne, the power of the right to guide the society. She okay. is the embodiment of the throne. So that when she you look the at... the embodiment of the throne. So when you look at the sacred iconography... The sacred artwork that represents the life forces in Kemet. These are symbols. Mm -hmm. The sacred life force in Kemet, uh, in this respect, is Aset, right? 
And in, on the image of our set, she has a throne sitting on her head. That's her symbol. Mm -hmm. It's a seat that sits on her head. Mm -hmm. And she is the embodiment of the throne. What throne? The, the throne of Kemet. Of just, the, of just the that throne land. that the ruler sits on. Okay. All right? Mm -hmm. And so, so that the queen in Kemet becomes the embodiment. She is co-equal. She is the embodiment of our set. She so is she is throne. somewhat godly. She's godly. She's godly. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Pharaoh is godly and the She's queen godly. is godly. That's right. And their, and their, their governance... Okay. So what's the difference between that and Jesus or Mary or whatever? It's a big difference. Mm -hmm. And their their governance in the society is mm -hmm. sacred. Mm -hmm. Their words are sacred in the society. What? It is powerful. What I'm getting at is wow. this. So that sounds similar to Muhammad. No, not at all. So now they, they even though they are sacred, <clears throat> they are not autocrats. They are not autocrats. They move based on a particular code of ethics and a particular code of conduct, mm -hmm. they they move based on the conduct and code of ethics that are def as defined as ma'at. Mm -hmm. So in Kemet, one does ma'at, and ma'at is the embodiment of cosmic order and balance. So what's the responsibility of the insubidi and of the queen in the society mm -hmm. to guide the society in the way of ma'at, to keep to the order and balance, to keep to the way of life, so that your behavior is defined by your relationship to life, what you do mm -hmm. in life. So that at the end of your days, when you go before the life forces, you should be able to say, so you're saying they I have not offended any element of life. So you're saying they, so they, they, they were godly and they never ruled in a way that was out of balance. Are you saying that? Their responsibility is to keep balance and order in order. But did these godly people do that? Depending on how you look at it. So what do you what do you want to look at and say? All right, this was out of balance. No, I'm just saying. Like, did they mistreat people? There, there were wars in Kemet. There were wars between Kemet and Nubia. Within among, there the were Kemet people, people within Kemet that did things within Kemet. But bear in mind, the did, did, so the pharaohs never they are not, mistreated they, anyone. They never all, all it, everything that they did was in balance and perfect order. So when you look at them, here's what you're not getting. Okay. You're putting them among common people. Okay? They didn't exist among common people. So there's a hierarchy in the governance of society mm -hmm. in Kemet. So you have the insubidi. Then you have royalty. Mm -hmm. Right? Then you have your various governors and your political, you know, your the folks who govern the society. No, I get that. It's very similar to so, stuff right so now. So the point is, no, you didn't have them in that particular capacity. So you couldn't equate them to... Here's, you know, Joe Blow who's being treated unfairly, let's say, in a situation mm -hmm. by a soldier and equate that to the insubidi. There are folks who, for example, and here's an interesting thing to your question, folks in Kemet who were mistreated, let's say, by a dignitary or felt that they were treated unfairly in the court. And mm -hmm. what did they do? They would petition the insubidi to make things right. Mm -hmm. You see, because that is his primary function. His primary function is governing folks in the way of abundance and prosperity and keeping to... So the pharaohs cosmic. never looked out after themselves. For what reason? They already... Are you saying so like... They, so, so they didn't seek comfort? Hold they on, they on, didn't on, seek are riches? Are you saying to be rich? Yes. 
Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. The answer is no. You know why? Do you know why? Why is it? Okay. You already have all the riches. You are the Earth's why? in that capacity. Why? No, no, I'm no. Answering I'm answering it. Talking about, I'm not talking about in, a, I'm in an ideological it. sense. I'm talking about I'm in a even, material. Not, in a material, factual, material sense. Mm-hmm. I said the insubity is the embodiment of the Earth's sovereign. He is the embodiment. Is that true? That's fact. How is that a fact? I'm, I'm telling you what it is. You can study it for yourself. That's how it's a fact. You want to go read it? Because... Our ancestors left records. You can read it. Mm-hmm. You want to go read it? Go no, no, read no. It. I'm just saying. How is it a fact that these men, these mortal men, were the embodiment? How is that a fact? Here's, here's because if you. you can, if you can say that about them, anybody can say that about anyone. Because no, no one, no, you can't. Can, can, no, you can't. You because can't prove no, it. No, that's no, all I'm saying. That, it, that's all I'm trying to that's say. That's the point. I can prove it's, it. It's a if you listen, then I'll prove it. But if you want to debate me and without facts. Then we just simply gonna have an argument. I know, if but I, I'm, I'm if you asking want to for debate it. me without facts, <laughs> then we'll have an argument. But I will give you facts, okay. and then therefore I'll prove it with facts. Okay, so, so give me the facts. Will you allow me to do it? But let me let, let me will let you, me ask the question real quick. Just ask me a question. Let me answer this question first before you ask me another one. Okay, you ask me about them enriching themselves. Okay, and let's, the point that I'm making to you is, if everything already is under your dominion. If everything, so look around this room, for example, look around the room. And if everything here is already all yours, all of it, what is it that you need to enrich yourself with? Because in Kemet, for the insert bitty, all right, every element of gold, Every element of this, every element of that, every element of this, and every element of that comes under the dominion of the insubidity. So what does the insubidity need to enrich itself with? Is that a question or is that I'm rhetorical or is that real? I'm telling you. Okay. Now let me give you an example. Okay. There is the, um, there's an exhibit here. We're in Portland right now. Mm-hmm. There's an exhibit at the Armsy Museum mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And with that Armsy Museum, it's, well, it's celebrating the grave robber. Uh, who entered into the tombs of Tukunk Amun of mm-hmm. the 18th dynasty mm-hmm. uh, in Kemet. And Tukunk Amun was an insert bitty, as you call a pharaoh mm-hmm. in Kemet. 18 years old, he died at. All right, came to the throne, I believe, at seven uh, years old. Mm-hmm. Under his rulership, okay, mm-hmm. he is the sovereign of the nation, okay? Sovereign. He is celebrated. Mm-hmm. with wealth beyond imagine. So when you actually look at even just the wealth of Tukunk Amun, it's beyond comprehension. Gold, silver, you name it, mm-hmm. okay, within that society. So the point that I'm making is, what do you need to steal? What do you need to exploit? What is it that you need? Because you have everything. It's a part of the state. It actually, the, um, the, uh, the, the investiture is what it would call, be called. Mm-hmm. Of the state is yours. The crown is yours. The the um, the gold mines, mm-hmm. all right, are the property of the of the state of the crown. Mm-hmm. Do you follow? The herds of cattle are the property of the state. What is it that you need to invest? invest yourself with. It's not like the U.S. presidency. It's not like the um, the governing in uh, uh, today's modern political entity where folks are robbing, you know, the state. 
you know. Um, so it's nothing like that. It's a different kind of society. So key to this is understanding how the society function. Mm -hmm. It's important to understand how the society function. Mm -hmm. That's why when you have everything, it's easier for you to guide the society in a certain kind of way because then there's no need for you you like the individual to plunder well i you know what i mean like my salary is limited <clears throat> so i can be bribed with more what could he be bribed with when his function in and of itself is perceived as he's as the earth sovereign is it making sense it makes i'm sense. not saying whether you agree with it no no, no. Just, it yeah. makes sense on yeah. a level of Ideally, in that situation, yeah. you don't have to ask for anything. And Nothing. I and I understand that. Yes. That's very simple. Yeah. It's very reasonable. I get that. Okay. That wasn't what I was asking. What I'm asking is not that you have that and you were born into it. I understand privilege. I think we all understand privilege. Certain people are born into wealth. And so that's why like white people now today. They don't feel guilty for anything that they have because they already have it. Like I was born with a trust fund. I didn't do anything to these black people, mm -hmm. but somebody had to do something to other people to create an imbalance of wealth. That's what I'm speaking to. So, so because there is an imbalance of wealth, because this this family over here gotcha. has amassed all of this stuff and it continues to be passed down. Gotcha. Are you saying that? They never mistreated anyone and, I, and, and I, was out of balance. And, and I got with, you. With Are you nature? saying any one individual has any individual possibly? I'm been? talking about these pharaohs, no, 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 no. these people so, who no, are and this is, supposedly yeah, supposed I'm to be you now, very, the embodiment. I'm hearing you now, loud and clear. Of God. I'm hearing you now. I'm hearing you now, loud and clear. Okay, that's what I'm saying. What up? What up? It's your boy, man. I'm hopping in, man. I had to cut this one shorter than what I normally do. You know, I go almost two hours, two and a half nowadays with the episodes. But man, this was like nearly a four hour recording. So I'm going to chop this conversation up into three parts, man. Every part is worth it. I promise y'all. As you can hear, it's heating up. It's going to continue to get hot. Sparks will fly. Fireworks were created. And uh, yeah, it's going to be real good. So we're going to pick up. Right where we left off for next week. Um, if you want to join in on the conversation, if you have any questions, comments, whatever, hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at SXSNDLS. My personal Instagram, Emmanuel Since85. Uh, personal Facebook is my government, Emmanuel Williams. And once again, it's the Socks and Sandals podcast. Where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Grace and peace. I'll let y'all next week. Truest me, my truest speech, true and deep from the loosest leaves of my loose leaf. My flaws and all, see. I'm fragile, but by grace I am choosing peace over losing sleep. And I must say these sandals fit quite nicely over these pillows. Nike sacks, Birkenstocks. Oh, what a faux pas. Unmasked, unabashed, unashamed. Uh, hear the voice set up unacclaimed. Yeah, hear the voice set up unacclaimed. Maybe that's a taboo. Maybe it's a fad, but maybe just in fact I was used to wearing bad shoes. Uh, Nike socks, Birkenstocks. Oh, what a faux pas. Unmasked.
ass and a bash and a shank. Uh, hit a voice set of unacclaimed. Yeah, hit a voice set of unacclaimed. Maybe that's a taboo.